we're back. Finally. We're here. You're here. Thank you. Uh, it's episode 52 of The Build. We're finally in our uh, Justin Barron era. Our Bud Holloway chapter. Our Matthew Darsh moment. And one more, because he's really the only one left. Our Craig Rivet time. I'll uh, start with Barron on this one. Uh, we're going to get into predictions later. I don't really have one on him, but I, I have big hopes for Justin Barron this year. Um, I think last year he didn't really get off to a great start. Didn't have a great camp. Didn't start the season particularly well in Laval. But he really came on. Like it, it's, I think it's fair to say he has the chance to be the best 52 in Habs history. But I don't really know that there's that. You know, I think Craig Rive is probably at the top of that list at the moment. But he can be passed. Uh, Matthew Darsh was a, a model Canadian. I use that term a lot. I'll use it later. Um, I once saw him score a goal in person on Marty Brodeur in New Jersey. Um, he came in on a rush with Gianta. And I think Gianta like slowed down as he came over the blue line. And Darsh ended up passing him and kind of going towards the net. And Gianta fired one of those patented Gianta Placanitz slap shots that are labeled right for the goalie's chest. But instead, Darsh got knocked down, and as he was going down, he got his stick on it and tipped it behind Brodeur. Pretty cool moment. Um, I still think that... Uh, I still think Darsh ends up in Montreal as the GM someday. There was too much smoke there. It's it's eventually going to happen. And lastly, Craig Rife. A really great Canadian's career in its own right, but I think, you know... Fans of of my age and maybe younger, um, we really only think of him as the source of one of the best trade trees in Habs history. Um, the Canadians drafted him in 1992. Fifteen years later, they flip him to San Jose for Josh George's and a first-round pick. That pick became Max Pacioretty. Max Pacioretty, of course, then became Thomas Tatar and Nick Suzuki. So Rive, not a captain in his own right. But he kind of could have been. He was really riding shotgun with Koivu for a long time. Um, but he he ultimately became two captains for the Montreal Canadiens. Pretty interesting stuff. All right, that's enough of the bit. We have some catching up to do. How are you guys? It's been too long. Uh, I'll explain myself a little bit. I was planning to do a show um, whenever the Canadians flipped Petrie. And then... Right as that happened, I had a death in the family, and recording just kind of fell off the radar entirely. And I got to a point where I was thinking of making a show, but I didn't want to do like 30 minutes on a Petri trade that happened two weeks prior to me getting behind a microphone. It felt silly. So I'll summarize my thoughts on that right now. You're going to get in about eight seconds. You want my thoughts? Here they are. It's underwhelming. I've placed it firmly in the D tier on our trade li tier list. Um, it's not a harmful move by any means, but the juice was barely worth the squeeze for this one. Um, Gustav Lindstrom doesn't really move the needle much for me, nor does the conditional fourth round pick. So that's it. <laughs> I couldn't have done very much longer than I just did. Um, and it was well after the fact when you guys probably were all done hearing about Jeff Petrie being traded to the Detroit Red Wings. Um, and then I thought on thought about jumping on to talk about the rookie tournament, that, but that would have just been me talking about how much I hate the rookie tournament. You know, the only upside this year is that no one got hurt, and that's the nicest thing I'll say about these rookie showcase games. 
I don't know why teams send their players to them. Um, I, I wish they wouldn't. Because for every, you know, for every Jake Evans that's trying to make his name, you know, make a name for himself and, you know, make a hockey team, there's a guy who the only time he's going to put on an NHL jersey trying to run around there and, and put people through the end boards. And the Canadians are not without, um, you know, sin in this case either. Arbor Jacki, like his big coming out party was him just bullying the Ottawa Senators relentlessly last year, um, which is cool because he's on our team. But like, imagine, you know, someone else's Arbor Jacki taking out one of our young players in the rookie camp. Like, it would be annoying. Anyway, down with rookie camps. I've been on this train for a while, and I will stay there until someone provides any kind of value at any of these camps. The the hockey is dreadful. You know, they wear the team, the, they wear the jerseys of their NHL teams, but that's not, you can't fool me. They, those aren't the Canadians. They're just wearing the jerseys. Good news. We have a trade to announce. Well, not really announce, but talk about. So we'll start the, we'll officially kick off the 2023-24 season with the new trade and we'll grade it in our trade tier list. Um, on Tuesday evening, the Canadians announced they traded goaltender Casey DeSmith to the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for one year of Tanner Pearson and a 2025 third-round pick. From a hockey perspective, I think this trade makes sense for both teams. It's kind of a win-win. Vancouver gets a clear backup to Thatcher Demko, something they did not have before Tuesday. Um, Montreal gets a decent draft pick and a pending UFA in Tanner Pearson that they can then flip at the deadline for some more draft capital. Um, I'm of the belief that Pearson is probably past the point in his career where you can count on significant offensive contributions. But he's a player who, you know, should make the roster, I would imagine, and act as a measuring stick for young players coming up. In the sense that, like, if you, if, you know, let's look at some of the guys who are projected to be AHL players to start the year, like Sean Farrell, um, Owen Beck, not so much Jesse Ulanen because he needs to be on the roster, otherwise he has to clear waivers. But if you can't outplay Tanner Pearson, you probably shouldn't be playing in the NHL just yet. And maybe that's not a completely unfair, you know, it's not a completely fair assessment of Pearson. But he played 14 games last year. He's He, he missed most of the year with a, a hand injury that he ironically suffered in a game against the Canadians. Um, but, you know, he wasn't, he's not the kind of guy who's going to play top six minutes. I've seen people say middle six. I, I kind of, I, I think third or fourth line, like middle six implies that he could be on the, on the second line. I don't think he's a second line player anymore. I think he's a third or fourth line player, which the Canadians already have a lot of, if I'm being honest, you know, like you all are me is still here. He's going to play in that lower six. So is Jake Evans. So is Sean Monaghan, most likely. Um, you know, there are there are lots of guys to play down there. It's going to be interesting to see how a lot of this shakes out. Because, like I said, there's a lot of guys who can be playing lower in the lineup. Um, I also want to get in front of the whole, if he's healthy, he could really be a nice find thing. He's not a chronically injured player like, you know, Monaghan was when Montreal acquired him last year. 
but he's coming off a serious hand injury that costs him all but 14 games. I'm at a point in my hockey viewing experience where I am done saying if he stays healthy, dot, dot, dot. Because I just, I think as soon as you're starting a sentence like that, you're already just hedging the bet a little bit. Because then if he plays poorly, he's probably also going to be injured because he just came off a serious injury. And you go, ah, see, he was just hurt the whole time. That's what it was. He he wasn't actually bad. I just, at 30, I think we know what we're getting with Pearson. And in reality, that's a potential draft pick in February. Like, I don't, I just don't, I don't see it. And that's fine. Because, and and my, my grade of this trade um, reflects that. As always, follow my socials. I'll have the trade tier list out um, so you can follow along at home. Uh, this one sits firmly in the C tier um, under the, it'll be labeled as DeSmith trade. Uh, they moved a goalie they were never going to use for a third rounder, which is awesome, and potentially maybe another third rounder in Tanner Pearson. I think a team would trade a third for Tanner Pearson in February. You know, if Montreal plays him on the penalty kill and they show a, a defensively responsive, responsible forward who can play bottom six minutes, I, I don't I don't see why not. I don't see why a team wouldn't trade a third or a fourth. I think asking for more than that is, is lunacy. But third or fourth round pick for him, totally fine. Um, he, Hughes, Ken Hughes and Jeff Gordon and gang, they're still farming picks ahead of a season where I think most of us are already looking forward to the 2024 draft. So that's that's what happens here. They 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 punt a goalie for a pick, which is I, I mean I'm shocked they got a third in this deal at all. Um, and Tanner Pearson, so not bad. Uh, with the trade, the Canadians are over the salary cap by six point one seven million dollars. Yes, they can put Carey Price on LTIR to start the season, but Ken Hughes has made it pretty clear that he wants the Canadians under the cap with Price's contract on the roster. It affords the Canadians more cap flexibility over the course of the season. Um, there's a lot of benefits, at least what, from what Ken Hughes has said. And I don't necessarily know the benefits, but I would tend to believe that the man who wants to keep $10 million off of his salary cap would know why he would want to do that. Uh, they have until October 10th, the, the, I believe that's the day before the regular season opens, to be completely cap compliant. So there are likely more moves coming on Wednesday, Kent Hughes said that Christian Dvorak will be unavailable until at least November as he recovers from surgery. So we'll have to see how that, that factors in to the LTIR contract um, you know, conversation of it all. They could put him on LTIR, but you know, they want to avoid using LTIR if at all possible. But then that becomes a, a conversation of clear, trying to, you know, create a roster that's $14 million cap you know under the salary cap so it's it's that's a challenge um outside of the hockey perspective i am glad the canadians found to smith a new home and that is all i will say on that <laughs> all right let's get ready for the regular season with some predictions um i, I want to open with a pretty plain explanation of kind of what i'm expecting from the canadians this year I, I avoid talking about gambling on this show because I know the general thoughts of gambling being shoved down our throats 
is, you know, people don't enjoy that. And I'm sensitive to that, you know, as, as much as I, you know, enjoy partaking, I know that others are not in that space. So we play to that denominator. It's okay. Um, I believe the only other time I've mentioned gambling on the show was last season when predicting the Canadian season point totals. So that's as far as this conversation will go here. It's not an, you know, it's not an, uh, an illicit approval of uh, gambling in a sense, but you know, the sports books set point totals for every, every team, every season. And they, they're sort of, you know, they're de facto predictions for what they think that team will do. Um, so that's as far as that conversation will go here. The sports books that I looked at have the Canadians point totals at 70 and a half points. So there are only two teams with a lower predicted point total this year, San Jose and Anaheim. So that's how I'm going into this season. The Canadians are still very likely a basement dweller once again. Full stop. I, I know there are conversations to be had about this team staying healthier and its impact on the overall result of this roster. And I think that's fair to an extent. I think that, you know, I think I think it's possible that they add some points they didn't get last year because of, you know, the they have they have Kirby Doc for, for longer. They have Caden Gooley and Cole Caulfield for longer. Like, those are difference makers on a roster. I totally understand that aspect. But I don't think that you necessarily add, like, 8 or 9 or 10 points to last year's team if they were entirely healthy. Um, I, and I, I don't think that this team, as it's currently constructed, has pulled away from last year's team with any of their like off-season moves. Um, most of the improvements to the roster are mostly improvements to the salary structure and the cap bloat that the last guy left behind. Moving Hoffman and Pitlick and Edmondson, it, those that doesn't make the roster inherently better. You can make arguments that like especially the way Edmondson was playing that, you know, you can make the argument that they're better off without him on the ice, to which I would agree, but it's not to the point that they're they're gaining so many points by him not playing there. Um, so moving those guys and their salaries out didn't make the roster better, but it helped clean up the next few years of the Canadians' cap-friendly page, which is which is the most important part of right now, right? Like the point isn't to, you know, get. 20 points better overnight. That's not really what the, the goal is here. Um, so I think that point total prediction is pretty accurate. Um, I'll take the over in this sense. I think they're going to get around 73 points. A modest five-point game gain from last year. And still in line for a top five pick if the chips fall the right way. Um, they'll be last in the Atlantic. They might even be last in the Eastern Conference. Although I think Columbus might, you know might have a, a say in that. But looking around the East, like I don't I don't see a team that could possibly be worse than Montreal. Maybe Philly. Maybe Philly. But it's gonna be it's gonna be tough sledding. Like I think I think it's it's a real there's a real chance we're looking at a, a top five, potentially top three pick. Um or at least lottery odds headed into the draft. Um well, that was nice. Someone just burned out in front of my house. Uh, cool. Uh, uh, let's look at the training camp roster for our next projection. Um, the Canadians announced their training camp roster shortly after announcing the trade with Vancouver because it kind of finalized their roster. 
And holy hell, they invited a lot of players. Um, 72 players invited to Habs training camp, which just seems like incredibly high. And I looked like I, you know, I, I tweeted about it and I saw a comment like, well, they're rebuilding. What do you expect? There are other rebuilding teams who didn't invite almost three rosters, like three and a half rosters. This is, this is a lot. Like the red, white intra squad game is, um, I believe this upcoming Sunday and I imagine there will be quite a few players sitting that one out because there's just not a ru- enough room for 72 players to be playing in a red-white scrimmage. And I doubt they're cutting 30 of them four days into camp. So, like, th- the point of it, to me, anyway, is, like, looking at the at, at the rosters for the, the red-white game, if you're, you know, not, like, a, a veteran getting the day off, and you're a guy who's who's you know fighting for an AHL spot or you know ECHL spot even, and you you're not playing in the red white game. I I would consider yourself cut, right? Like you you have to. There's just there's so many of them. I'm just concerned that, and and this is the last I'll talk about the the size of the roster. And if I'm right, but unless I'm right and this ha- and this plays out, then I you'll never hear the end of it for me. But. My fear is that, you know, there's only so many preseason games. There's only so many preseason reps that you can get as, you know, starters before the regular season starts and you have to perform. And I know the Canadians aren't in a position where we're, like, expecting them to be good, right? Like, I, I don't. But I think it's important that the that a lot of these players have strong starts this season and start to perform at least individually, and and not only from a player perspective, but from a personnel standpoint, the power play, right? The power play has been a real like source of just frustration for, I don't know, the better part of a decade, possibly longer. It doesn't like so now you have 72 players coming to training camp. How many of those preseason games are we going to see? the Canadians number one power play unit that we will see in the first game of the regular season. I think it's going to be one game and it's going to be the game right before the preseason ends. We're going to get one tune up. You know, like I remember a few years ago when the, you know, there was the bubble and every team got one tune up game before the, you know, the qualifying round and the playoffs started. And I remember everyone going like, oh, that's not enough time for these guys to get back into, you know, that that sort of game shape. And I remember thinking like, why? That's what they do every year. Like, I know that they have these long training camps, but like as far as like on ice reps that you get with your NHL teammates, you get one game and it's the game right before the preseason ends. And then it's 82. So my fear is that like, you know, we have guys like, like. Owen Beck out there on the number one power play unit. And while, yeah, that's probably pretty cool. Like, shouldn't we start to tinker around with the guys who are going to actually be here? Because the NHL power play has been complete dog water for a long time. They have to, like, there has to start to be improvements, if not in, you know, results, at least in philosophy and in in system. Like, we have to start to see that they want to change the way things are being played. And the power play for me is where I'm, I'm 
staring at all preseason. I need we need to see something different. We need to see different looks. And I just think that when you've got 72 players coming to training camp, nine of which are goalies, the problem that you run into is there's just not enough ice time. There's not enough time. There's not enough spots for everybody to get a shot on the power play. So that's my 72 players invited to camp rant. Sorry, that went much longer than I thought. Um, of those 72 players, David Reinbacher would be playing in his first NHL training camp and preseason games. And my prediction is that he makes the final roster. Now, before you all start screaming at me, this is not a prediction based on what I think should happen. I don't know if he should make the team. I tend to be pretty conservative with these decisions. If you've listened to this show for a while, I floated the idea of sending Slavkovsky back to Finland at the beginning of last season because it would have just been, you just go back over there, play in a men's league, and develop out of the Montreal spotlight. Go live your life. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you next year. The reason I'm predicting this is because the team doesn't think like that. You know, Slavkovsky last year made the Habs, despite most of us thinking it would be best to send him to Laval, and some people thinking maybe he should go back to Finland. And from a historical standpoint, although I don't believe that this has a ton of bearing over the current administration, the last top five pick from the Canadians to not make the roster was Carey Price, and that was a goalie. It's a different situation. Galchenyuk, Kotkaniemi, Slavkovsky all made the team. Um, again, I, I don't think the same people are making those decisions anymore. I, in fact, I'm fairly certain that's not the case. But it seems worth mentioning that it's rare for the Canadians to send one of those high picks back to their junior team or directly to the AHL. Um, so, like, so in the case of Reinbacher, I can see it now. Like, He makes the team out of camp. He plays his first nine games as part of a rotation on defense. You know, his 10th game will be slowly coming up um, sometime in mid-November. And, you know, they'll keep asking the coach about it. And, you know, Marty will just have to say what Marty says. And then they'll play him in his 10th game and we'll spend a few weeks arguing about it. And then we'll probably move on. And I'm open to being wrong here because I, I would, it would be to the player's benefit. But I've seen this movie too often. We all have. I won't compare Reinbacher to Kotkaniemi and Galchenyuk anymore. Because I don't, I don't have to. We just saw them do this with Slavkovsky. They think that the best place for their franchise players to develop is right in front of them. It's in Montreal. It's not even Laval. It's Montreal. They want him there. They want Slavkovsky there. I think they're going to want Reinbacher there. Because remember, when he got drafted, you know, and they asked him, are you going to come over next year? He said, well, I have school left to do. And, and I don't think, you know, I, I have to be home to do that. And and then I believe it was sometime later in the summer when they were like, well, he could do all of that from Montreal. He doesn't have to be there. So they're already like mentally preparing themselves for him to be here. The jury is still out on whether or not that's a winning strategy. And I like the odds of it working considering the changes the Canadians have made to their player development. Um, but it still makes it feel rather obvious that Reinbacher is coming, you know, if, if Reinbacher comes to camp, he plays safe hockey, he, quote, looks like he belongs, they're going to keep him here. So I'm mentally preparing myself for that to happen, and I'm not setting it up as any kind of, you know, setback in his development if they decide to send him back to his, to his Swiss League team. 
The next prediction I have from camp is that uh, is what line Alex Newhook will find himself on. Um, I know he was a center and junior. I know he was being developed as a center in Colorado. But the, the I've thought about this since since they picked him up over the summer, and I, I mentioned it on this on this show. I really think the Canadians start him next to Caulfield and Suzuki. I think they want to see if he can play with the best players on this team. I bet they give it a shot in camp, and maybe you know if it goes well in camp or at least doesn't look horrible, they, they start the season, they see if there's chemistry, and then they recalibrate if they need to. Um, they spent two very valuable draft picks to get him. They signed him to a four-year deal. I think they want to put this player in a position to succeed right away. I don't think it makes a ton of sense to be like, well, he's a center, so we have to play him behind Suzuki and Doc. And we play him on the third line with, you know, with 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 Brendan Gallagher and Yoel Armia. Like that can't that can't be the reality for him. And on the wing, I don't think he has to do it all. Right? Like he can focus on his offensive game and try to take a big step forward and develop chemistry with some of the other players on this team. Um, so that's, I don't know that that's necessarily a bold prediction when it comes to new hook, but I just, I think the Canadians are, you know, if you're in it for the, for a penny, you're in for a pound. And I think they're going to, they're, they're going to play him with this team's best players. All right, let's look in net for our next few predictions. Um, of the 72 players invited to camp, nine of them are goaltenders, as I said before. Um, in the competition for the NHL net, after the Casey DeSmith trade, there are now three guys fighting for two spots. Um, I've talked about it a bunch since last season ended, but something has to give here. It seems rather unlikely that they carry three goalies to start the season, with the Canadians trying to get under the salary cap with Carey Price's contract um, still on it. Caden Primo is going to need to clear waivers to be sent to Laval. Jake Allen has a seven-team no-trade list this season and is on a far more expensive contract. And Sam Montembeau is Sam Montembeau. I don't think he's in any kind of conversation to be moved to another team at this point. I don't think the Canadians are going to be able to find another home for Allen and his contract at this point in the offseason. There's just not enough cap space to go around. And... You know, as it always seems to work out, the teams that have the cap space to do it are probably on his no-trade list. And unless, you know, Caden, Caden Primo comes out and looks absolutely unbeatable, I think that the, the path of least resistance here is that they try to sneak Primo through waivers. Thankfully, I think he clears because there are too many goalies on, on NHL deals around the league. I was looking around the cap friendly. Toronto has three Without counting Matt Murray, someone's going to have to clear there. Philly has three with Carter Hart seemingly on the way out, but they haven't found a way for him to get out yet. So he's still, they're going to have to clear a goalie somehow. If they do it at the right time, Montreal's going to have the opportunity to hide Primo on waivers. The, the, the risk becomes, you know, you wait too long in camp, you give him too long of a look and then decide, okay, we're going to send him down and... By the time that happens, a team loses their backup or their starter for a, for the full year or for at least an extended period of time, and they have to claim him to be competitive. So I think if they do it at the right time, they'll be fine. Uh, and the next prediction in net is that Montembeau comes back down to earth just a little bit, but is still clearly the Habs' best option in net. 
Um, he was 13th in the NHL in goals saved above expected last year. Um, I don't know if Mountain Bull is truly, truly that kind of goalie because last season was the first time we really saw him do it. You know, we're kind of, we, he has two seasons in Montreal. The first one, he wasn't healthy and he was still playing and fighting through it. And the second season, he was healthy and he was very good. Can't, I want to see it again. And that's why, you know, I think the Canadians do as well. As much as they talked about extending him, I think it makes far more sense to see how this season plays out and then figure it out from there. I don't think it makes a ton of sense to commit a ton of time, a ton of term and and, and money to goalies in this day and age. And I don't think that Montembeau will be the kind of goalie to command, you know, a contract that's anything over three years. Um, but I tend to bank on regression when, when you know, it comes to hockey players. Um, so I think Montembeau slides a little bit, but he's still he's still going to be better than Allen. He's definitely going to be better than Primo. He's going to be Montreal's starting goalie this year. And he's not going to be, like, starting goalie, but also really bad. I think he's going to be a, you know very easily a number one goaltender in the league. Just, you know, I don't think that it's going to be as spectacular as it was at times last year. All right, that's enough predictions, I think. Um, I could, you know, there are people who, who want to hear, like, how many points they think players will get. I, I don't really, you know, I kind of get into that from time to time. I just, look at the, looking at this roster, I just don't, I don't even know. I don't know where to, where to begin um, with a lot of these guys. Um, I'm not really concerned about point totals so much as I am about just, you know, overall progress in the way they play. Like Slavkovsky, for example, like, would it be cool if he went out there and scored 45 points? Yeah. If he doesn't, you know, it comes in around 30, but he's logging a ton of minutes and he looks way better. Am I going to be upset? Probably not. But it's, there's, it's time that the young players on this team really, you know, Especially, you know, up up front, but also on D. There's a lot of young defensemen who are going to be fighting for spots really, really soon. It's time that they really stake their claim um, on this roster. And that's mostly what I'm looking for in the in training camp and then into the early parts of the season. And from there, we'll kind of readjust expectations as it goes along. All right, I like to check in on the, the big picture Um every now and then to get a sense of where the Canadians are in this rebuild. And in the grand scheme of things, I think it's still going according to plan. Um, I think this, this being the first true rebuild the Canadians have ever done. Um, we haven't seen the Canadians with three top five picks in a row since the early days of the draft when the Canadians were just gifted top picks. And Montreal this year has the opportunity to do that. Um, they have the, the opportunity to pick first, fifth, and then add another one anywhere in that top five in consecutive drafts. Um, that's something that hasn't happened before, at least, you know, in the, the modern era of, of the NHL, at least for the Canadians. Other teams have absolutely done that. Um, in the years where Montreal, like, took Galchenyuk or Kotkaniemi, they never f truly followed through on that because after Galchenyuk was picked, Montreal went to the playoffs in the lockout shortened year. And after Kotkaniemi was picked, they finished, I think it was like 93 or 94 points and missed the playoffs on like the last day of the year. And even in that year, they ended up with Caulfield after that. So it's a nice consolation prize. But what I'm saying is after those drafts where they picked third overall, both instances that is, 
instead of bottoming out again and grabbing more, you know, more top draft picks, they made the playoffs and picked 25th overall. And then it was made even worse by the fact that they took Mike McCarron. Like, imagine Gatchenyuk's drafted in, what, 2012? And then the 2012-13 season just becomes the 2013 season because it's, it's locked out and, you know, they play it out. Imagine Montreal finishes in the bottom of the league and they pick first or second that year and they grab either McKinnon or Barkov. Like, it's a, di- we're, it's a different conversation. Now, I only named two players there because the third player is someone we know, the third, the third pick in that draft is someone we know very well. Uh, in Jonathan Druin, and knowing who was in charge of the Canadians at that time, they would have probably passed on Galche- on on McKinnon and Barkov to grab Druin instead. Um, but that's less fun to think about, and you know, just another another layer deep in in hypotheticals. I I know we think of you know Caulfield and Suzuki and Gooley and you know maybe some others Doc as the core. And, and Doc, of course, being the highest pick of them all, so I think it's a little different. But these these top picks that the Canadians had, um, you know, in Slavkovsky, in Reinbacher, and whoever they picked this year in, in the 2024 draft, and whoever they take in the 2025 draft, um, I, think, I think truthfully that's probably closer to what the core of this team is going to be. And, you know, in saying that, I'm not trying to slight the guys who are already here. They're already... A, you know, they're going to be a massive part of this team's Stanley Cup hopes. Nick Suzuki, regardless of what you think about his, you know, his, you know, ceiling as an offensive player, he's the captain of this roster. That's a big deal. And that's not going to change with ever who that, you know, with, with who they draft. But as much as I love Suzuki and Caulfield and Gooley, if those are if those guys are the top players at their positions on this team, I don't know that this team can make that jump into the top tier of NHL teams. I mean, just from a a salary perspective, you'd expect that like the truly elite elite players are making double digit salaries, right? Like we were saying that, that Caulfield couldn't make anywhere near eight, you know, we were saying that Suzuki had to come in under a certain number. We'll do the same thing when, whenever Ghoulie's up and his, his contracts do. But eventually, Montreal is going to need truly elite talent. I'm hoping they find it in this this upcoming draft in 2024, because th- this is going to be one of the I think one of the last opportunities they have to um, intentionally get a, a pick in that top five, potentially top three. It might even be first overall. And. Hughes and Gorton have committed themselves to building this slowly in order to grab as many of those top picks as possible. Um, one thing I haven't talked about was the video that the Canadians released, you know, kind of documenting their discussions before they made their pick in the uh, the draft this summer. And, and, you know, it kind of starts with a conversation that Jeff Gorton was having with his entire scouting team saying, you know, these these high offense players are, are hard to come by. You can't you can't really trade for them. You can't really um, sign them in free agency. They, they, you know, they're too old and they cost too much. So we need to be absolutely certain that passing on the one that we have here is the right thing to do. Um, they didn't mention him by name, but it was very clear they were talking about Madve Michkov. Um, 
in collecting all of these picks and in building things slowly, that is a piece that the Canadians are missing. They're missing that truly, truly elite offensive talent. I haven't done a ton of look looking into next year's draft. I don't know if that player exists in next year's draft, but they have got to find it. Um, they 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 passed on Matt Vimichkov. Um, you know, I'm not upset that they took Reinbacher. I feel like I feel like I'm going nuts every time I talk about this because I have to like pre-argue with people who are going to be like, "Oh, Reinbacher is going to be fine." I know he is, but they passed on Matt Vimichkov. They passed on a piece that they desperately need. So as far as like putting the team in position to make those picks, they're executing that part of the plan particularly well. They had a first overall pick. That one they kind of stumbled into midway through the season. They had the third overall or the fifth overall pick last year, which was intentional. They were going for that the whole time. And this season they're they're probably set up to do that again. Um, and then I think in 2025, they'll probably pick somewhere in the top 10 and then it's going to kind of need to be go time. You're going to be entering, you know, the beginning of the prime of, of like Suzuki's career and Caulfield and doc, like their most productive times, you're going to need to flip the switch. Um, so to button that up, like the rebuild is, is going about as, you know, quickly or as slowly as I expected it to. Um, I think this season we'll see far fewer, um, you know, fans being upset when they score goals because they might win a game. Uh, I think that, I think that part of this rebuild is behind us. And I think that this Canadians team is going to be plenty bad on their own. Um, but it's not quite go time yet, right? Like we're not, I'm not expecting playoffs this year. I don't even know if I'm expecting them the year after that. But that that time's gonna come sooner rather than later. And you know, I, I'm just I'm hoping that their development is all it's cracked up to be. Um, I hope that they've, you know, pressed the right buttons internally and you know that that they are ready when it when it, the time comes for them to be um, you know, contenders again. It'll come right as a, you know, maybe a team like Tampa and a team like Boston are kind of falling out of the picture. Um, and maybe some teams in the Atlanta and the Metro as well. So, you know, they're they're in no rush because right now the Atlantic Division is still a gauntlet and it's getting worse because it looks like Ottawa and Buffalo and Detroit are better. And I don't know, maybe one of those teams screws it up eventually, but, you know, Montreal has some catching up to do. All right, one last thing to talk about today. Um, you know, one player who will be around for the rebuild in a different capacity is uh, Paul Byron, who announced his retirement from the NHL on Wednesday. Um, this announcement was made as the Canadians hired him as a player development consultant. So, you know, while we all knew this was headed in this direction, it still really stinks to see how it ended. Um, you know, Byron is one of the guys who probably would have retired right after the cup final in 2021 if the Canadians managed to win. Um, he... He often falls off the list of guys they were trying to play for and trying to win for. Um, I think he should be up there, you know, right up there next to Weber and Price and Gallagher. If not, you know, play, you know, playing significance, you know, like the, the accolades that those players had. 
but for leadership significance and the way that they wore that sweater and how much it mattered to them um, was infectious. And it made it made I think it it made that team so much better than it actually was, was the, the concept of playing for another person, not not just trying to win it for yourself. As far as waiver claims go, it's one of the best to ever happen. I know Danny Briere was a waiver claim, so you know I don't think he quite matches up there. But Byron came in at the start of the 2015-16 season and was an instant hit. Um, you know, and for those who might not be aware, um, it's quite possible that a Reddit user was was responsible for the Canadians claiming Paul Byron um, on the Canadian subreddit. Uh, I believe the user's name was like Galaxy or something. They they when when Byron went on waivers, that that user made a video talking about or just at least showing all of the breakaways that Paul Byron has gotten and not scored on. It was a long video. There's a lot of breakaways that he got that he just could not bury. With the idea behind that being, you know, essentially that's going to regress to the mean and he's going to start scoring on these sometime soon. The rumor goes that the Canadians eventually saw that and, you know, it was instrumental in them deciding to make that waiver claim. Um, I don't know how much of that is true. I like to believe it because it's really, really funny. The idea that Mark Bergman is being shown a video on Reddit and it, it was influencing the way that he he built this hockey team. Um, but like most of most memories of Paul Byron replay like like that video of him just getting breakaway after breakaway. Like in my mind, thinking about a lot of the the goals that he scored, they they replay like shootout attempts because he. You know, he would just use his speed to create breakaways from his own blue line regularly. Um, that's why his, his shooting percentage is so high. Uh, you know, some seasons he was scoring on like 20% of his shots. I think career, he ended at like 17 point something as far as his shooting percentage. Um, but there were always arguments that it wasn't sustainable. But those arguments were, were completely removed from the context that was Paul Byron. He wasn't shooting from the blue line. He was creating scoring opportunities where it was him against the goalie. You know, they like shootout, you know, you think about a shootout, like if a, if a player shoots 30% on a shootout, that's that's pretty good. You know, he was kind of just doing that in real time during the 60 minutes of an NHL game, sometimes in overtime. Uh, he had the first goal of that that cup final run that really made me believe that it could happen that we could, one, just beat the Leafs at all. Um, late in the third period of Game 1 against Toronto, he comes in on a partial breakaway that we've seen him do so many times that he turns into a full breakaway with his speed. Uh, the defenseman trips him. He He's on his knees. He keeps the puck under control, and he still finds a way to roof it on Jack Campbell. Montreal takes the lead in the game and the series because of that. Um, it's still, like, I, I think about that playoff run... Um, you know, I think it's it, it's still as sweet as it was when it happened. But there is still a part of it that's that's frustrating and how far that we've gotten since then, like how how much further away we are from getting back there. Um, but that that goal to me, I think it's 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 that goal and it's the Lekkonen goal. Like those are the two that I think about constantly. Um, and the and the Kotkaniemi one in Game Six in overtime to force Game Seven, and who got him the puck? It was Paul Byron along the boards. So nothing but fond memories 
um, of Paul Byron in a Canadian sweater. Like I said earlier, he's he's a model Canadian. Um, I'm glad he's sticking around to teach the young guys how to be good pros because he's a great guy to learn that from. Um, so you're, I've, I haven't done this for a retirement yet. This one, it hurts more than any of the trades that I've done this line on. Uh, your final line on Paul Byron with the Montreal Canadiens. 383 games over the course of seven seasons, 81 goals, 79 assists for 160 points. In three playoff runs with the Canadiens, Byron appeared in 38 games, scoring five times and adding six assists. Uh, farewell to Paul. All right. Well, that's all I got today. Um, I'll be back next week to chat about camp and some honest-to-God preseason games. As dreadful as they are, it'll, it'll, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm a, I'm a sicko. I'm very much looking forward to them. <laughs> um, until then, thanks for listening. Um, here's your long social media plug. You can find me on Twitter. I'm not calling it X at maybe it's Ian, uh, and on Blue Sky at maybe it's Ian dot um, I occasionally have codes for for um, Blue Sky. If if you're still in in need for one, if I've got one, reach out. I'll try to I'll try to hook you up because I have two accounts on there, so I'm grabbing two codes at a time it seems like um the build is also on blue sky at the build.bsky.social so go follow if you're on there uh the build is also on tiktok at the build mtl where i post clips from episodes um the same can be said for youtube where uh the episodes will go up in full uh, as well as uh, you know shorts from the shows um the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing now is Inside by Fred Mug. Check the link in the description to head over to his Bandcamp page for the rest of his stuff. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your last weekend without hockey for a very long time. So long. So long.